please turn in your Bible over to, uh, actually we're going to begin today over in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. This is part 3 of our mini-series within Ephesians, The Longest War in History. The Longest War in History. Something I never saw until we went through Ephesians this time was the progression that we see in Ephesians. And as we're wrapping up the series, let me do a mini, mini quickie review here. Ephesians chapter 1, God teaches us and tells us about our salvation and how that we are in Christ and we have a purpose, we're accepted in Christ and so forth. And that goes through, of course, part of chapter 2. Then into chapter 3, it starts talking about the church which is made up of all believers in Christ, all those who have trusted Christ as Savior. And then into chapter 4, chapter 4 turns the corner and starts talking about, okay, the application of chapters 1, 2, and 3. And so now we start seeing how not only the church, but all believers are supposed to function within the local church and within the body of Christ. And that's chapter 4 and also into chapter 5. And it talks about our relationship in chapter 5 with each other in the body, our families, our friends, our employers, everybody. And then, of course, it, it, it's interesting because then it transitions after that in chapter 6. It transitions into, okay, now you've been equipped. You have all this truth Now, what are you going to do with it? Well, let's go to war because we are in a spiritual war. Now we are soldiers who've been to boot camp. We've understood the word of God. Now we're supposed to do something with what we've learned. And so that's really what this issue of spiritual warfare is. And it's interesting because that's the last thing God tells us in Ephesians. And then he sends us out. Okay, I want you to know you're learning all this stuff because there's a spiritual war going on and you need to be a faithful soldier. Satan's plan, as we have already seen in this world, is to keep mankind lost and blind to the gospel. Yes, he wants people on drugs. Yes, he wants to destroy families. Yes, he wants to inflict sorrow and turmoil and all that. I get that, okay? Yes, he is behind abortion. Yes, he's behind perverted lifestyles. Yes, that's, yes, okay? He's the God of this world. I get that. But the big issue is to keep lost people lost. And uh, we know that to be true because uh, Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. That was his mission. And Satan wants to hinder, cripple, defeat the mission of God. And so this all, I hope it's clear in your mind because it needs to be clear that this is what this is all about. Satan wants to keep man from trusting in Jesus Christ as his Savior. Remember that his biggest victories are eternal victories. Now, in quick review, how does Satan blind the world? I'm not even going to give you the scriptures on these. I'm just going to give you how he does it. We've already covered it in detail. But he does it, remember, if I was to put it in one simple word, it's through lies. It's through lies. Remember, he's the master deceiver. So how does he blind the world? Well, by giving counterfeit gospels, by giving counterfeit plans of salvation through religion. Those who believe in uh, you can earn your way to heaven or even a slicker package counterfeit would be Jesus is necessary. Faith in Jesus is necessary, but you also have to turn from all your sins, give this up, start this, stop that, join this, don't do that, get baptized, all this mixture, okay? Become a follower of Christ. That's the buzzword nowadays within the last few years. So it's not only faith in Christ, but also having to follow him to get 
get to heaven. Now, yes, Christians should follow the Lord, but that is not a requirement to becoming a Christian. Salvation is the gift of God. It's not of works, lest any man should boast. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. He also does it by getting Christians, Christians, people who are saved, to present a false gospel through bad terminology. In other words, if he can't keep people lost, then let's mess up those Christians with their message to where they think they're giving the gospel, the plan of salvation, but they're not. They're confusing it, and people are not understanding how to be saved, or they're believing something that's not true, even though the Christian may be well-meaning in what they're saying. Another way is by getting Christians to ruin their testimonies through carnal living. Let me tell you something, friend. If you're a Christian, you're not living for Christ. No one's interested in what you have to say about Jesus. They see no reality in your life. And why should they listen to you? You're saying you're offering them something, but really what you have to offer in their mind is nothing different than what they already have because you're just like them. Listen, it's not spiritual to be carnal. That's the mindset today. We're carnal, but we're proud of it, and at least we admit it, so that makes us spiritual. No, it doesn't. It means you know you're carnal, and you are. That's what it means. Not a good thing. And also by getting believers to adopt false priorities for their lives. So you're a Christian, but God wants you to be living for something besides Jesus Christ and the gospel, which is why Jesus came, which is if we are like Jesus, we're going to think and have the same priorities as he does. We should be growing into that as believers and adopting that mindset. 2 Corinthians 4.3 says, But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world, that's Satan, has blinded the minds of them that believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. So if he can keep the gospel away from people, they will continue to be blind. Or if he can feed them a false gospel, one that is not true, one that is a mixture of grace and works or pure works, then he keeps them blind. And they become religious, but they're still lost. And that's a victory for him. Now let's go to Ephesians 6. And last week we started talking about the specific pieces of the armor. It says in verse 13, Wherefore take unto you the whole armor of God, all pieces are important, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Stand therefore having your loins girt about with truth. We know this is having to do with character, personal integrity that comes from the application of the word of truth, the Bible. And having on the breastplate of righteousness. Again, it's a practical righteousness based on the righteousness that God gives you when you put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior. And then verse 15, it says, in your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, okay? We understand our mission, and it's this message, this good news about Jesus Christ. It's the only message that can bring peace to a person's life. Paul said in Romans, therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. The gospel brings peace into a person's life. And so again, there's that mission that we have is through Give the gospel to reach the lost. We need to be prepared to do that. Your feet shod, ready 
to go, okay? Your feet are ready to go to share the gospel. Are you ready? Paul said, I'm ready to preach the gospel. Romans 1, he talked about that. Are we ready to preach the gospel? You might say, not me, let somebody else do it. And you're not falling in line with scripture. You might say, well, it, it convicts me. Listen, friend, instead of creating some false theology to try to get the Holy Spirit off your back, why not bow before the Lord and surrender to him and say, you know what, Lord, I am self-centered. I don't share the same passion as you do. Jesus, when you look on this world, you are moved with compassion. And here I am, and I don't care. I only think about myself. That's not a good soldier. Now, folks, we all face times like that when we get selfish, but it's not right. And we ought to confess that to the Lord, and we ought to then start doing what God would have us to do. This is scripture. Are your feet ready with the preparation of the gospel of peace? Now we move on to number four, and it says in verse 16, above all, wow, this must be important. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. Now, the word wicked there, that's masculine singular. It's referring to Satan himself. So this number four, the shield of faith, we are to take the shield of faith in that we are to walk by faith in the Lord and his word. When I say walk by faith, it has to do with our lifestyle. In other words, we live our lives trusting in the Lord and trusting in his word. That is where our faith is. That's where we put our confidence is in the Lord and his word. The Christian life is a life of faith. It's not going through life just white knuckling it. Okay, okay, well, I'm just going to fight this battle. Okay, friends, we're not equipped to fight the battle on our own. We need supernatural power to fight this battle. And so we trust in the Lord and we trust in his word. And as we do, it says, as we walk by faith in the Lord and his word, as we do, we will quench all the fiery darts. Is this not exactly what Jesus did in Matthew chapter 4 and verse 4? You can look at it with me. Now, we'll project it on the screen, or you can turn in your Bible if you like to do that. Here is the Lord Jesus Christ physically weakened by fasting 40 days and 40 nights. And of course, here he is in his physically weakened condition, and Satan approaches him. And the first thing he does is go after his point of weakness. He was hungry. He was weak, and he tempted him. And Jesus said in Matthew 4, 4, what did Jesus do? He answered him with Scripture. The fiery dart came at Jesus, and he answered the devil with Scripture. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Now, folks, if Jesus used Scripture to conquer the temptation of the devil, can we use anything less than that? No, not psychobabble. Scripture, the Word of God, this is where it is. Now, you notice in verse 16, above all taking the shield of faith, wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. I want you to notice several subpoints here. The first is this. Notice it says, above all. Why? Now, catch this. Catch this. Because if we don't 
have faith, we will not use any other pieces of the armor. Why use them if we don't believe they're going to help in the first place? So faith is first. Faith is first. Above all, taking the shield of faith. I believe God. I believe his word. I trust in him. I trust in his word. And therefore, when the fiery darts come, I turn to the Lord and I turn to his word. And it says, I can quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one when I do that. But if you don't do that, then why in the world would you, if you don't believe that's going to help, then why in the world would you apply any of the others or give yourself to any of them? Now, I want you to notice something else, the shield of faith. Why do we need the shield? Well, because there will be fiery darts shot our way. You can guarantee it as a believer, they're going to come your way. When the darts come, very simple to comprehend this and understand this, when the darts come, you put up the shield and you stop them from penetrating your person, okay? Think of it in the natural realm, okay? If you were there, somebody was shooting fiery darts or arrows at you, and they go like this and they shoot it, you bring up your shield. Why? To deflect the dart. That's exactly what we are doing with the shield of faith. Now, let me say this. What are the darts? What do they usually look like? Now, this is one that we really need to listen carefully to and understand. I believe more often than not, darts can be evil, sinful, or wrong thoughts. This is where the devil does most of his work in the mind. Through temptation, through lies, through wrong thoughts, through perverted thoughts. Have you ever been living your life and having a good day in the Lord and things are going good and all of a sudden some wicked thought comes your way and you think, where in the world did that come from? Well, that's a dumb question, right? We know where it came from. It's the devil. And he tempts us with that. And of course, our old nature loves that which is wicked, that which is wrong, that which is sinful. And so there's that temptation to focus on it and to meditate on that. What we're basically doing is we've let down our shield, we've allowed the dart, the arrow to penetrate, and now we're suffering the injury that it causes us in our lives. So darts can be evil, sinful, or wrong thoughts. They can also be false accusations or persecution against us. Remember, the goal is to defeat us to where we keep our mouths shut, to where we don't live for Christ and share the gospel like we should. So anything he can do. And so he can send false accusations. He can send persecution to where it discourages us, to where we say, uh, you know what, forget it. This is not worth it. This is not worth it. And I'm just going to quit living for Christ. I'm just going to quit. That's exactly where Satan wants us. And where did that concept of I'm just going to quit begin? It began here. And somewhere along the line, some sort of a fiery dart penetrated the armor or got through, and now Satan is having a heyday, and we've got a fire on our hands. False accusations or persecution. Another dart 
Okay, they can be anything that Satan can do to stop us or discourage us. They can be situations that we face. Something comes our way and it gets us discouraged and it gets us down to where we get focused on that and we turn our eyes away from Christ and we turn our eyes on the problem instead of on the problem solver. Our eyes need to be on the problem solver, not on the problem. But see, what is that? That's faith. It's a choice to believe. So the fiery darts are real. And I think, honestly, a lot of them are, number one here, darts can be evil, sinful, or wrong thoughts. They can be lies. They can be lies about you. Let me tell you something, friend. Satan can say such things as, and this is common today, you know, you're, you, are, uh, you may have put your faith in Christ, but you know what? You're still failing in your life. You're a failure. You're worthless. You're worthless. Why don't you just give up on this stuff? Okay, you found Jesus. But you know what? You'll never make it. You'll never be successful as a Christian. Or you'll never get free of your addiction. You'll never get free of the way people, people look at you in a negative way. You're never going to get free of that. Why? Because you're worthless. You're nothing. Now, these are all lies. But Satan would love for us to adopt them and let those lies control our lives instead of the promises God has given us in his word. We must believe in the Lord. We must believe his word. So notice it says above all. Also, why do we need the shield? Because the shield is how we stop the fiery darts from penetrating us and causing fires in our lives and causing damage. But notice also with this, the shield of faith quenches all the darts Satan attacks with. Now, folks, we need to believe that. There is not one dart he sends our way that cannot be blocked and defeated by the shield of faith. If that doesn't show the importance of it, I don't know what does. Hold your place here and look with me to Romans chapter 10. Now, as we turn to Romans chapter 10, I understand that the context of Romans 10 is salvation to the world. And that if we don't share the gospel, people can't put their faith in Christ because they don't know they need to. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. But listen, is that not a true principle, even for those of us as believers? Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Romans 10, 17. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We are not to have faith in our own strength. And it's not faith in faith like some of these wackos believe today. You know, it's faith, your faith. Your faith is a positive force and it can cause this and create things. And the word of your mouth, the word of all that. No, listen, that's all heresy. It's heresy. Don't go there. It's not faith in faith. It's faith in the Lord and his word. We are not to have faith in our own strength and wisdom, but in God and his word. Now, listen, the more we hear and learn and apply the word of God, the greater our faith becomes. Now, hear me out on this. The more we hear, learn, and apply the word of God, the greater our faith becomes becomes. As it grows, we have more cover when the darts are fired at us. Now, I don't have one up here, but if I had a little postage stamp 
And let's say for an example, somebody was firing arrows at me. Would you rather have a little square the size of a postage stamp to defend yourself with? Or would you rather have something 20 feet square to stand behind? How many of you go with the 20 footer? Okay, yeah, you might say, well, I don't know if I need one that big. Listen, just to be sure, if it doesn't cost you anything, why not, what's the term, live big? Live big on that, okay? No, you wouldn't want something like this. But you see, this is where a lot of Christians are today. Here they are, their faith is the size of a postage stamp. And Satan starts firing at them to discourage them, to get them to quit. He's firing lies and deceit and persecutions and all this. And they got this little stamp and they're going, no, oh, poor me. Why doesn't God help me and all this kind of, you got this little, no, friend. We need to build up our faith. Our faith needs to increase. Oh, I don't believe that's a biblical concept. I am glad you're here today. You're going to learn something maybe you've not known. I know some of you know this. Turn with me to Luke chapter 17. The truth of it is this. Our shield of faith grows as we grow in God's word. Our faith can increase. Yes, it can decrease, but it can also increase. And as it increases, remember, it is the shield of faith. So if my faith is increasing, in a sense, the size of my shield is increasing. That offers more protection, more protection. Where is that? Luke 17, verse 5. And the apostle said unto the Lord, increase our faith. They didn't say, we don't have faith. No, they said to increase their faith. We want our faith to increase. We want more of it, okay? Turn with me to 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. This is practical. 2 Thessalonians 1 verse 3. Paul says, We are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is meet, as it is fitting, because that your faith grows exceedingly. And the charity or love of every one of you all toward each other abounded. What was growing in their lives? Their faith was growing. It was growing exceedingly. They had faith, but their faith was growing. That sounds to me like it's getting larger, like it's increasing, and that is what was happening. And so, folks, as our faith increases, we are more effective in quenching the fiery darts of the wicked. Not only that, but you know an extra blessing that comes with that? Not always, but many times you'll get better at recognizing the arrows, the darts when they come, that that's what they are. Listen, not everything negative that comes our way is a fiery dart of the wicked one. Sometimes it's the imagination of the old nature. I get that. And sometimes it's just people being people. But here's the truth of it. What we need to do is we need to have a way of recognizing what it is. And I can't tell you how many times I've heard something or somebody has shared something with me and they say, you know what, I was thinking this, this thought came to my mind or I heard this or this really bothered me. And I said, that's a lie of the devil. That's a lie of the devil. That's a fiery dart. Why? Because the concept wasn't true. And it wasn't true of that person. It's a lie of the devil. He's getting you 
an arrow got through, some way an arrow got through, and it's penetrating, and it's causing a fire in your life. There is a great need for meditating and memorizing on Scripture, folks, so that we have it right there when the darts come. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. Saturate your mind. What is the best thing for you and for me to do when we are being attacked, when we are discouraged, when we are down, when we are upset over something? The best thing we can do is get into the Word of God, and I highly recommend take books that really, really speak to the heart and where you're at, even your emotions. Like the book of Psalms. This may not sound deep to you. It sounds deep to me, though. I know the success of it, not only because the Bible says so, also this is what I do. Get into the book of Psalms. You might say, where? How about this? Start in Psalm 1. Which ones? Start in Psalm 1. Start reading the book of Psalms. How far? As long as you need to, until God starts encouraging you, until you start feeling better, until you start being more motivated to serve the Lord, until you start getting life in perspective the way God wants you to see, until you start realizing, you know what? And by the way, it happens to all of us. You've been duped. Satan got an arrow through, and you're a wounded soldier. Not a good place to be, but it happens. Hebrews eleven six says, but without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder. By the way, believe that he is. What? God. He that cometh to God must believe that he is God and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. This is not a game. Say, I need help. Yeah, welcome to the club. We all need help. Might say, well, everybody else is normal. No, they're not. No one's normal. As Irma Bombeck used to say, Normal is only a setting on a dryer. (laughs) There are no normal people. My family is dysfunctional. Every family has some dysfunction in it because we're sinners saved by grace. And that's the Christian homes. Without faith, it's impossible to please them. Okay, let's go back to Ephesians 6. It says in Ephesians 6, verse 17, it says, and take the helmet of salvation. Now remember, above all, you better get the shield of faith. And now, verse 17, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The helmet of salvation, okay? The helmet. What does a helmet do? It protects the head. I think the concept is it protects the mind. It is a mindset of being saved and secure because of God's grace. No matter how hard the battle may become, hey, I've got a home in heaven waiting for me. God loves me. He's on my side. And more importantly, I'm on his side. But he loves me no matter what. And no matter what happens to me, even if I die physically, I have eternal life. This is the worst we as believers will ever have it. We're going to be with Jesus soon. Let's keep going. See, that's the mindset, but that's because of our salvation. And that's what we need to cover our heads with and our minds as we go through each day. Keep the perspective. It brings perspective. This mindset protects our thinking. It is the glory of resting on the promise that the Lord will never leave us nor forsake us. And in that, there is peace, there's freedom, there's love, 
There's joy. There's confidence. There's courage. There's courage. We're on the winning side. Isn't that great to know? Jesus said in John 6, verse 37, All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. You want to be saved? You want to know you're going to heaven when you die? Put your faith in Jesus Christ that he died for you and rose from the grave as the full payment of your sin. Trust in him and him alone. And when you come to him that way by faith, he promises to never lose you. He'll never cast you out. He'll take you as his own. He said in verse 38, For I came down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him that sent me. And this is the Father's will which has sent me, that of all which he has given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again at the last day. We're all something. When you trust Christ the Savior, he promises to never lose you, never cast you out. I'm as sure of heaven as if I'm already there. Why? That's what Jesus said. That's why. Verse 17 again. So we see, take the helmet of salvation, this mindset, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. You notice that it is an offensive weapon. It is an offensive weapon. Now, this is a very important concept to understand. Actually, where it says here, the Word of God, this word, word, is not logos. It is the word rhema, all right? It's a different word, and it means the saying of God. Here's what it's getting at. And you notice, remember, the sword is the offensive weapon. It's what we use to do battle with. It is the logos. It is the word of God. Here you go. Look up here. It is the word of God put in motion, It is the Word of God, and it's using the Word of God. It is not only the truth, in objective truth, but it is the saying of it. It's like what Jesus did to defeat Satan. Satan tempted him. He says, it is written that, here you go, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Jesus took the objective logos Word of God, and he made it a saying to do battle with. That's what it's talking about. It is the word put in use. It is what is needed in the situation. It is not passive. It is active. This is what we use to do our battles. When I talk about how to share the gospel with people or even to deal with people with scripture, I always say this. I always counsel people this way. Look, You be sure it's not a matter. Here you have your Bible. It's not a matter of you dealing with a person like this. It's a matter of you dealing with a person like this. This is what does the work. It's not the strength of personality or argument. Okay? Well, I got A++ in debate class. Woo, whoopee-doo. I'll let God do my debating. Okay? And what you do with it's up to you. If you don't believe it, I feel for you, but it's not my problem. It's your problem, okay? There's a lot of people running around today. Listen, the weird ideas they come up with, it's like they're biblically illiterate. It's like they can't read the Bible. They pick and choose all the little things that they want, and they reject all the rest. Can't you read, dear friend? All you got to do is read it and believe it and apply it. 
2 Timothy chapter 4. This is why Paul says what he did to this young pastor, who, by the way, was struggling. Persecution was ramping up. He knew he was going to be losing Paul, who was his spiritual father, in a sense of, humanly speaking, his mentor. And Timothy was struggling. He was becoming afraid in ministry. Paul said in chapter 1, he says, God's not given us the spirit of fear. That word fear means timidity. God doesn't make you a coward. God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. And then he says, in, as it's ramped up the climax of the book in 2 Timothy chapter 4, right after this long dissertation on the importance of Scripture, and that the Scripture is the only thing that's inspired, and that's the thing that changes lives, saves souls and changes lives. Then it says in 2 Timothy 4.2, preach the word. Preach the word. Be instant, in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. He said the time's going to come when people are going, they're not going to put up with sound doctrine, endure, put up with it. But instead, they're going to make up fables. And by the way, folks, if you reject the truth, the only thing left for you to believe is a fable. See, Satan hates the Bible. That's why he wants to eradicate it out of our society. And if he cannot eradicate it, he causes confusion about it. We know that's his ploy. He started it back in Genesis chapter 3. Yea, hath God said, questioning. And then later he says, no, God didn't say that. Or he's not telling you the truth. Listen. Do you think it's interesting? Now, I'm not, this, is a, this is a topic for another time, but don't you think it's interesting? Every single year, more and more Bible translations are coming on the market. More and more, more and more. And what does that do? It causes confusion. I say, well, they all say the same thing. Well, if they say the same thing, why do you have to keep coming out with new ones? Ching, 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 ching. <laughs> we'll move on. Let me make a statement here today, folks. If you don't use the Word of God to fight your battles, you will not succeed. You will not succeed. What do churches and believers need today? Paul addressed it. He said, Timothy, listen, we are in the last days. These are perilous times. The times are just going to keep getting worse and worse and worse. It's the Word of God that saves people. It's the Word of God that changes lives to make us fully equipped so that we can do the work of the ministry for the edifying of the body of Christ. Therefore, preach the Word. That's what we need. What the churches need. They need to have the Word of God preached. By the way, the word preach means to herald forth. It's not a conversation. It's not a small group discussion. It is, this is what God says. We need to believe it and do it. That's preaching. And that's what the Bible says we are supposed to do. Folks, what do churches and believers need today? Not more fog machines. That may sound funny to some of you. Okay, I'm not cutting you down because some of you laugh because you know it's ridiculous. But listen, I get emails and periodicals and stuff that come to my email box. And here you are. How to pick out the best fog machine for your church. Wait a minute. I thought we are supposed to be trafficking in clarity, not fog. What is wrong with churches today? We don't need more fog machines, light shows. 
rock music, dancing. Oh yeah, that's going on in churches today as part of the worship service, dancing. What do we need? We need the Word of God. It is the unchanging standard of God. That is what transforms people's lives is the Word of God, not tricky, clever, new stuff. The service is not a show. It's a place to get equipped with Scripture so that we can go out and do the work of the ministry. That's what the Bible says, okay? Let's go back to Ephesians 6. It says in verse 18, praying always. Now, most people, they leave the armor with six items. I believe prayer is one of those. I think it's seven. By the way, isn't it interesting that seven is the number of divinity? It's God's number. Anyway, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. This praying always and watching, okay, that's all one concept. They're not two separate concepts. Number seven, the seventh piece of armor is constant prayer. Constant prayer. A piece of armor? Yes. It is inseparably linked to faith. Prayer is the purest exercise of faith that there is. Why would I come to God if I didn't believe he could do something about it? That's faith. When we are praying to the Lord, we are trusting in him, and he is our focus. That's where our eyes are. He rewards us for this. His grace is strong on our behalf, and we are not led away with sinful and harmful Things. Remember, I already mentioned it, Hebrews 11:6. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God. What is that? That's prayer, right? The Bible has much to say about the importance of prayer. It is asking the Lord to supernaturally work and intervene in the situation we are in. It calls for his protection. It calls for his wisdom. It calls for his guidance. It calls for his strength. It is at its very core dependence on the Lord. That's prayer. And prayer preserves us. It preserves us. Because God comes to our aid. 1 Peter 5, 8 says this now, Be sober, be vigilant, Because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour, whom resists steadfast in the faith. The faith is the truth of Scripture. Knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. Okay, let's go back to Ephesians 6. And in verse 19, and Paul now really, it's interesting, He's talked about the battle. He's talked about what it's for. He talks about how to be equipped. He talks about the weapon. And then he says in verse 19, and for me, and for me. What does that mean? Pray for me. Here's Paul. Pray for me. He knew the importance of prayer in this battle. Pray for me that utterance may be given unto me that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in bonds, he was in jail, that therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Remember, folks, what the battle is about. It is for souls. And so he says, pray for me that I can be true to the mission and I can be bold in my mission. See, this wasn't automatic for Paul. 
Sometimes we almost deify him. No, he was a sinner saved by grace, just like us. But he knew success was not automatic in this life, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in bonds, that therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak, and so should we, by the way. And then one more thing, verse 21 through 24, it says, But that you also may know my affairs and how I do, Tychicus, a beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, shall make known to you all things, whom I have sent unto you for the same purpose, that ye might know my affairs, and that he might comfort your hearts. Peace be to the brethren, and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 24, grace be with all them that love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity, in incorruptness, with a pure love, with a pure love, real sincerity. It isn't, I love the Lord, I love the Lord. Well, let me close over in 1 John. Let's go there. 1 John chapter 3. You see, God has mainly, can I boil it down if we want things simple? God has two things for us. Now, this is just, these are general truths, and yes, there's a lot of things that go, that go into them, especially the second one. But these are general truths. But how simple this is. 1 John three twenty three. Here you go. You want the Christian life, the, the entire Christian, the concept of Christianity in simple form. Here it is. 1 John three twenty three, And this is his commandment, that we should believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ. Once you're saved, then to love one another as he gave us commandment, as he gave us commandment. Look at that, that you should believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ. You see, if we love one another, we will meet the other person's need. Love acts in the other person's best interest, whatever that is. This is general. Everything falls under that, though. Everything falls under that. If I love somebody, I'm going to try to meet their need. If I love somebody, I'll look past them, maybe not dealing with me in a proper way. I, I, won't, get, I won't take it so much personally. I'll, I'll blow that off, and I'll say, well, you know what? What can I do to help them? They're upset. They're bothered. What can I do to help them? That's love. But let's look at this first part, that we should believe on his name, on the name of his son, Jesus Christ. What does it mean to believe on the name of the son? Now, I didn't give this to the people who do the projection, but look one page over 1 John chapter 5 and verse 13. It says this, how you can have for sure, how you can know for sure you're going to heaven. If you came today and you're not sure where you're going when you die, what I'm about to tell you is the one thing in the world that Satan does not want you to know more than anything else in life. He does not want me to say what I'm about to say. But I'm going to say it anyway, because this is your greatest need. This is how you can pass from an eternity in hell to an eternity with God in heaven. And it's simply by believing something. It's called the gospel. Now, let me explain it to you this way. If this hand represents you and me, we're going to let my wallet represent our sin. All the things we do wrong. We all do things wrong. We're all sinners. God loves us. God hates our sin. Sin separates us from him. You cannot live with God in heaven with any sin. Not even one sin. If you die with your sin, you'll be lost, separated from God forever in hell. God doesn't want that for you. He loves you, and he wants you to live with him forever in heaven. 
Now, religion teaches that you do good works to get rid of the sin. No, the wages of sin is death. Good works will not save you. We've been in Ephesians. It says over here, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. It's not of works, lest any man should boast. You can't earn your way to heaven by good deeds. That is why Jesus came, because we could not do it. He didn't come to help us. He came to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. We are guilty, lost, and condemned. God says, I don't want you to be lost in hell forever. Therefore, he came seeking. The Bible says the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which is lost. That's us. God took on flesh the person of Jesus Christ. When Jesus went to the cross, he took all of our sins upon himself, and he paid for all of them. Not only what you've done, but what you're going to do wrong to the day you die. He knows what it is. He already paid the debt that you owe. He paid for all those sins. He was buried and rose from the grave. And he says, if you will believe that he made that payment for you, if you trust him as the one who paid for your sins, that payment is good on your behalf. He gives you everlasting life. The moment you believe, look at it in verse 13. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. You can know that you have eternal life. You can be sure you're going to heaven when you die if you will believe on the name of the Son of God. Now, there it is, that name. Jesus, God, our Savior. That's what it means. You're believing in him. You're putting your faith in him that he is God who will save you. And if you do, he will save you. And he'll give you everlasting life. The battle is for your soul. Satan wants you to stay lost. God wants you to be his child. Put your faith in Christ. Would you do that today? Well, friends, that concludes this edition of Voice of Assurance. Thanks so much for listening. And would you share this ministry with a friend? To contact us or learn more about our ministry, please visit www.northlandchurch.com. Your prayers and support for this ministry are greatly appreciated. Thank you so much, and God bless you.